find that God often um, has a habit of lining up our sermon series with the calendar in ways I never really planned or thought about. He just tends to ensure that we're talking about the right thing at the right time. I find it kind of interesting as we continue in our series, The Upside Down Kingdom, this morning. On this Remembrance Day weekend, we're going to be talking about war and peace. We're in uh, week seven of uh, the series, Upside Down Kingdom, where we're looking at the culture of the kingdom of God. What does it look like to live God's way? What we're finding is that God's way of living is often upside down from the ways of the world. Paradoxical, countercultural, antithetical. We see this time and time again in the teaching of Jesus. In fact, Some of his last words when he's standing before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, uh, about to die, he's asked, are you a king? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight and prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Notice what he didn't say. Jesus didn't say, my kingdom is not in this world. It's somewhere else. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, my kingdom is not in this world. He says, it's not of this world. It surely is in the world, but it ain't of the world. He he didn't say, but now my kingdom is in another place. It's somewhere else. And I'm taking people from here to that place. No, it's not what he said. He didn't say, my kingdom is in another place. He said, my kingdom is of another place, but it is here. The kingdom of God exists wherever God's people are. Wherever there are those who love and serve and follow him, God's kingdom dwells here in his church. What does it look like? Well, Jesus says, it's not like the world. It's not a kingdom of conflict. It's a kingdom of peace. The way of the kingdom is the way of peace. Now, if there's one constant It seems to be conflict in the world throughout history, right? Nation against nation, group against group. Don't we live in a divided world? Everyone's wanting to secure their peace over it against another. This group against that group. This person against that person. Husband against wife. Parent against child. Conflict seems to be the only constant. Human history is really just a history of war at the end of the day. Uh, You know, there used to be a time, decades ago, maybe 80 years ago, where where thinkers, philosophers, historians, they actually used to think that we were going to make a utopia. You know, they made these shows like the Jetsons. This this, this world where, where they figured everything out. Humanity, we have outgrown conflict. We just know better. Through education, through experiences, we've outgrown conflict. Nobody thinks that way anymore. In fact, World War I, at the end of World War I, they called it the war to end all wars. Like it had been so terrible that they thought, we've learned our lesson. We're never going to let that happen again. That was the last war. And they signed that peace treaty, the Treaty of Versailles. It wasn't a couple of decades later where you had Neville Chamberlain, the the, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. He had a summit with then Adolf Hitler. That was Hitler before he was Hitler, before his coming out party. 
famous summit where Neville Chamberlain left and, and made that statement, we have achieved peace in our time. Five months later, Germany annexes Czechoslovakia. A few months after that, German tanks are rolling into Poland. And you know how the rest goes, right? Millions of people die. The war to end all wars. So we, conflict is, is a constant. Haven't figured out how to stop it. In fact, between those two world wars, they created this organization called the League of Nations. That was going to do it. If we could just get all the people around one table to talk it out, not fight it out, We'll get there. We'll find peace. That didn't last very long. Because the problem is not the system. The problem to conflict, Jesus is going to show us, it's not our level of education. It's not our experience. Um, it's, it's not economics. It's not politics. Our primary problem is not the system, but it's the human heart, isn't it? The problem is the human heart. Conflict is a spiritual problem always because it's always a result of sin and sin is a spiritual problem. Conflict is a spiritual problem then that only has a spiritual solution and Jesus is going to talk about that as we look at Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is going to show us that the way of the world is retribution but the way of his kingdom is reconciliation. We're in the seventh beatitude. Now we're looking at these eight statements of Jesus where he describes for us the characteristics of the kingdom of God at the beginning of Matthew chapter five. We find ourselves now this morning looking at the seventh uh, statement of Jesus on the kingdom. He says in Matthew 5, 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I want to do three things this morning. I want to answer the question, what is peace? If we're going to be peacemakers, we've got to know what peace is. What are we making? What is peace? Secondly, what does it mean that peacemakers will be called children of God? And then lastly, how can we be peacemakers? Just kind of a few suggestions. What does it look like to live as a peacemaker in the world? What is peace? Now, as soon as you hear that word, you know, you, you have some idea of what peace is, and maybe you think of that symbol, that round symbol, that peace sign. You think of things like um, peace between nations, peace treaties. We typically think of peace as the absence of conflict. But what we're going to see is, is peace is much more than the absence of conflict. It's the presence of something greater in its place. You kind of get a sense of that when, when Paul, at the end of his letters, often closes by saying, grace and peace to you. That's his closing words to the church. He's not saying, man, I hope you guys aren't like fighting one another and punching one another and swearing at one. That's not what he says when he says, I hope you have peace. That's not what he means when he says, I hope you have peace. Even today, the Jewish greeting and farewell to one another, do you know the word? Shalom. That's how they greet. That's how they, that's how they part. Shalom. It's the Hebrew word for peace, which is this really important idea that we have in the scriptures. It's this thing that Jesus was talking about. He says, blessed are those who will be bringers, makers of shalom, of peace. What is shalom? Shalom, just try to paint a picture here, like a 3D model of shalom. It, it means kind of a few different things. It has a few different parts. Shalom means, first of all, that something is whole, it's complete. So anything could be shalom. A wall, a brick wall could be shalom. If it was a wall that didn't have any gaps, bricks missing, it didn't have any cracks, the wall was shalom. 
in, in Job chapter 5, Job says that his tents are shalom because he counted all of his flocks and there were no sheep missing. His tents were shalom. They were complete. So it has that sense of wholeness. There's nothing missing. It has a sense of restoration. That something that's lost is found. Something that was broken is, is repaired, is restored. And in the law that God gave the people of Israel, Exodus 22, it says, if you have an animal that breaks out of its pen, goes into the neighbor's yard and like tears up the garden, you need to go make shalom with your neighbor. And you make shalom with your neighbor by replacing that, by making restitution, by restoring that which was lost or broken. That's making shalom with your neighbor. It has a sense of restoration, reconciliation in a relationship. To heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. It refers to a state of being. A person can feel shalom on the inside. It's a, it's a, it's a healthy well-being is shalom, peace. When the Bible talks about rival nations finding shalom with one another, it doesn't mean that they've just stopped fighting. All right, peace treaty, Truce, you stay over there, we'll stay over here, we're at peace. That's not shalom. When rival kingdoms found shalom, it was that they started working together for one another's benefit. They entered into a healthy, harmonious relationship. Peace isn't just the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of harmony. This is what the scriptures teach. Peace is the complete harmony of a relationship. Peace is a relationship that is healthy and flourishing. We are called to be makers, bringers of shalom, of peace, to be those who pursue harmony in all our relationships, to pursue harmony and to pursue flourishing in our life and in the lives of those around us. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. To pursue complete harmony in relationships. Now what does it mean that peacemakers will be called children of God? Does that mean that someone said, oh, hey, I, that, that guy's definitely a child of God. Look at the way he lives. Maybe. But, but the word called doesn't mean like someone gave you a name. It means that this belongs to someone. When God calls us his children, it means he's, he's having a stamp of ownership. You are mine. You belong to me. I own you. To be called a child of God then is to belong to him. What Jesus isn't saying is that if you just become the right sort of person, if you become the sort of person that's a peacemaker, God's gonna accept you and you're gonna belong to him. That's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, it's the opposite. What Jesus in the scriptures teaches that if we belong to God, if we become his children through faith in Jesus Christ, we will become makers of peace in the world. Because we'll, we will become like our Father. We belong, and when we belong, we will become, Jesus says. And what will we become? We will become a peacemaker if we belong to God. Because God is a peacemaker. God's a peacemaker. That's what he's all about. That's, that's what the gospel is. It's about making peace. Probably in ways you didn't even think about. Colossians 1, 19 to 20. Paul says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, 
And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Look at those words. That God was reconciling to himself, say it. Let's start at the beginning, okay? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself, say it. What things? What things? This is kind of fun. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I wonder if our gospel is too small. I wonder if maybe we thought the gospel was all about Jesus dying on the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven and I could have a relationship with God and go and be with him in heaven forever one day. Yeah, that's a part of it. Absolutely, but the gospel of peace is so much bigger than that. Jesus came and laid down his life to reconcile back to God all things. And just in case you wonder, does he really mean all things? Is this an exaggeration? He's using hyperbole. He goes on to say, whether, whether things on earth or things in heaven, everything. Jesus came to restore all things into right relationship with God and with one another. Perfect harmony. You see, the world was once in a state of harmony. The scriptures tell us when God made the world, there was peace, there was shalom between God and man, between man and one another, between man and creation. And then man chose sin to turn away from God, to turn to ourselves, to do things our way. And when that happened, the world broke. We live in a broken world in all sorts of different ways, don't we? Our world is broken. It's out of harmony. Paul even says in Romans chapter 8, he says, all of creation is groaning, waiting to be liberated from its bondage to decay. Jesus came not just to redeem us, but to redeem all things and restore them to God's perfect intention to restore shalom, peace. That's the story of the Bible. It's God's work of reconciliation. That's what the gospel is. And so when you go to the end of the Bible, what is it? When it talks about what is to come, it talks about a renewed heaven and a renewed earth where all is peace again. You see, back when man sinned, what happened? Well, there was separation between us and God. That, that relationship was broken between one another. Now, now, now it says that men are going to be against women and women are going to be against men. Does that happen? I mean, we're just living in gender wars right now. It says that, man, you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna farm up. Those weeds are going to fight against you. It's going to be hard, even creation, and you are going to be battling one another. The world is broken but God's mission is to bring peace and reconciliation to all things. And at the very end, we see this renewed creation. We see Eden restored. There is harmony again. And that's the mission of Jesus. That's what the kingdom is. A kingdom of peace, a kingdom of shalom. And that starts with us, that new creation. One day God will fully renew all and reconcile all to him, but that begins with us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. God actually will change your heart, and through faith in Jesus, you will have a restored, reconciled relationship with God. You will have peace with God. God will change your heart 
and then through you will bring peace, reconciliation to those around you. You know, the UN isn't the hope of the world. No political party is the hope of the world. No ism is the hope of the world. Capitalism, socialism, communism, any ism. Nothing, no ism is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of peace in the world because conflict is a spiritual problem that requires a spiritual solution. And Jesus is that solution. He is the hope of peace in the world. So Paul goes on, all this is from God who reconciled us to him through Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Who Who has he committed it to? Who? Us. He has reconciled us, and then now he has given us this ministry. You who are reconciled, you will be reconcilers in the world. This is the work that you will do because that's his work, his work. How can we, what does that look like? How can we be peacemakers in the world? Just, just a few things that um, are important here. First of all, to be a peacemaker, you must first know peace with God. You must first know peace with God. Ephesians 2, Paul says, He, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups. Now, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, they hated one another. It's like Manitobans and Saskatchewanonians. Saskatchewanites? Saskatchewaners? Does anybody know what Saskatchewan people are? They don't even know people. That tells you something. They don't even know. Jews and Gentiles, rivals, bittered, hatred. He says Jesus came to destroy the barrier, that dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. He came to make peace with us in order that we might make peace with one another, but that begins with peace with God. Is, there, is, is absolutely necessary. You know, I, I spent a few months in Macedonia, a little country in southern Europe that most people don't know anything about. But it's a place with long, long-standing tensions and war. And there's two big groups in Macedonia. There's the Macedonians and the Albanians, and they hate one another, and they're totally different. And they have completely different um, languages and cultures and religious traditions. They live in different parts of the town. They shop in different stores. Their kids go to different schools. They wear different clothes. They eat different food. They're not friends with one another. Yeah, they live in the same town. Yeah, right now they're not shooting one another. But there is no shalom. There is no harmony. Except in one place. I was really cool. Because I saw this. I lived in this. But then on Sunday mornings, I would go to church. This little church, it wasn't very big. But in that church, there were Albanians and Macedonians. That was the only place I saw in this whole nation where these two people coexisted in complete shalom, harmony, holding hands, loving one another, hugging one another, caring for one another. Why? Because they had found peace with God. And as Thomas Wren said, kind of a great Christian thinker, philosopher, he said, we are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves and we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. To have peace with others, you need to have peace in yourself. In order to have peace in yourself, you need to have peace with God. 
You need to be aligned rightly. And I think of, um, you know, like I guess the body, the spine is, is kind of the, the core part, the central part, the hub. Everything's kind of connected to the spine. The spine's really important. Now, I'm 38 and I'm starting to get old. Like I wake up and it's like I, I, I bend my back and I go, ugh. Like I've noticed myself groaning. Ugh. That's a bad sign. How do you, those of you who are 75, how do you do it? I'm like, ugh. Anyway, a few months ago at our kickoff, there was that big long bungee thing and I was racing uh, Andrew and I'm pretty sure I beat him despite the photographic evidence. And um, <laughs> it was the angle, Andrew. I swear it was the angle. It was taken. But I don't know what I did to my knee. But that's two months ago, and I still have a sore knee. Like, am I getting old? It doesn't go away. But you know what they say? That spine is so important because if, you, if your spine is out of alignment, let's say you have a slipped disc in your back, right? It's out of alignment. With the, a, that's painful, but then it causes you to not be able to stand upright and so you maybe bend over and this is kind of how you walk and you do that long enough and that pressure, your knee knee wasn't designed to to walk like that and so eventually now your knee hurts and because your knee hurts, you kind of, you hobble a little bit and you put a little bit more weight on one leg than you do on the other leg and you do that long enough and your hip starts to hurt. Right, Dad? (laughs) I can tell, he's like, yeah. He's like, you got it, son. What comes after the hip, old people? Like, what's, what's next? What is it? What is it, Dad? What comes after the hip? Right? But you trace it all back. Where does it begin? It begins with a misaligned spine. If that's not aligned, it has all these negative consequences, effects. But if our spine is aligned, everything else works as it should. And that's, that's what Jesus is saying, is when we have peace with God, we will be peacemakers we can be those who make peace because we are at peace with ourselves and with God secondly peacemakers won't seek to win against others but to win over others you know we, we, we live in a time where everyone's battling against one another group against group trying to have victory you know Victory is the way of the world. The way of the kingdom is not victory. The way of the kingdom is harmony. You know the difference? Victory means I beat you. We're at peace because I beat you and I'm at the top. Harmony is not I beat you, I won against you, I I, I won you over. Right? Not that I beat your team, but now we're on one team. You know, the way the, world, the way the world thinks it's kind of a zero-sum game. Like there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser and you better be a winner and not a loser. There's something called the Pax Romana, which was Latin for Roman peace, which back in Roman days when they kind of ruled the world, it was a very peaceful place. Why? There was no shalom. Now there wasn't fighting because that force was just too strong. No one would dare try to fight them because they would never win. They had peace by the power of their force, but there was no true shalom, harmony, wholeness, flourishing. It was peace by force to win against another, not to win over another. And you know, you learn early on in marriage that if you defeat your spouse, you lose. Guys, have you learned that? 
Andrew, how long have you been married, bud? Have you learned that yet? <laughs> no answer. He's like, <laughs> he's like, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I still times fall in this trap. It's like, it's like, it's a battle, and I want to make sure I win, and I want to be seen to be right. Sure, fine. Now, can we agree that I was right? I won? Okay, fine. Fine. You defeat your spouse, you lose. Jesus is saying is, is you either you both lose or you both win. That's the way it works in the kingdom of God. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, to live at peace with everyone, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. Leave that to God. Leave retribution to God. He goes on to say, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What, what he's not saying is, and I've said this before, he's not saying, be so good to them. That's like, ha, beat you, gotcha. Don't you look stupid. Didn't bother me. You look like the fool. That's what he's saying. When, when it talks about people carrying coals on their head, your enemy, that's, that's an act of contrition, conviction, a change of heart. What he's saying is you will, cha- you will win them over. When you don't try to defeat them, but you love them and you serve them, you try to seek peace, you will actually win them over. They will come to your side now. You will overcome evil, not with evil. You will overcome evil with good. Paul says, someone's got to break the cycle. The cycle of retribution, the cycle of revenge. Someone's got to decide, no, I'm going to break that cycle. No more tit for tat. I'm going to try to, I'm, I'm going to seek to make peace, to bring shalom, harmony to the situation, because that's the goal. The goal is flourishing relationships. So, so peacemaking is not winning against someone, it's winning over someone as the goal. Just lastly here, peacemakers will count the cost and there's always a cost to peacemaking and they will pay any price but the truth. They will pay any price but the truth. Peacemaking is costly work in in time, in energy because, you know, we live in a disposable age. If something's broken, what do you do with it? Throw it away. Get a different one. Go down to Walmart. Get a new one. Too much time to fix this one. The thing is, we've taken that, we've applied that to marriages, applied that to relationships, right? Fixing something that's broken is labor-intensive. It's easier to just either walk away from it or just live with it being broken. Fixing broken things is hard work. Restoring them to wholeness. But that's what it means to be a peacemaker. What that means is, is sometimes that we have to just stop. Instead of responding and judging, we need to listen to the others. We need to really listen and try to understand. I don't know about you, but when I hear something and it kind of already fits what I think, I go, yeah, that's not right. Quick judgments. You know what happened in Stonewall? Apparently at Stonewall Collegiate Institute with this whole rainbow poppy thing that happened a couple of days ago. Not even sure what the whole story is there. 
But even people that don't know the whole story are, are, are still making judgments. Right? I mean, within, within a first... Uh, apparently, there was already a, a news organization that had interviewed people and had a YouTube video with 80,000 views, and I had that texted to me, that video, a couple of times on that day. Peacemaking means that we, as the Bible says, that we're slow to speak and quick to listen. We're slow to make judgments and we're quick to try to understand. To recognize the humanity in the other person, where they're coming from, to understand and to try to, and to ask questions. And that takes time. That takes energy to listen and to ask and to be slow to judge. That takes time in relationships. That takes time in a marriage. Henry Longfellow said, um, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. There's another quote that goes something like, be kind, everyone you face, everyone you meet is facing a great battle. If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm host, all hostility. A peacemaker strives to understand, to get to the root, to see the humanity in the other. It's costly work. At times, peacemaking means that we're willing to endure the pain of apologizing to make peace, which kind of sucks, doesn't it? sex to apologize, to admit that you were wrong. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, a few verses later, he says, if you're offering your gift at the temple and there it comes to your mind that you've got a brother that holds something against you because you did something to him or you owe him something and you haven't, you haven't made it right, you leave that gift and you go and you make it right and then you come back and you give your gift. You do it right away, Jesus says. You pay the price of reconciliation, which sometimes means enduring the pain of apologizing, humbling ourselves and owning up to it. At times, it, it, it's on the other end of things. Peacemaking means being willing to endure the pain of saying the hard thing, though it's the, the, the true thing. Not allowing things to get swept under the rug and just sleep, sleeping dogs lie. You know, there's a difference between faking peace and making peace. Between like being a peacekeeper, like just keep the peace. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to ruffle feathers. And those who make peace, to make peace at times means to ask the hard question. Say the hard thing. It might mean to lovingly challenge or rebuke another for the sake of shalom because something isn't right. We're called to be Peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Not to sweep things under the rug and just to appease and say it's all okay. Matthew Henry says, Peace is such a precious truth that I would give anything for it. Or sorry, peace is such a precious jewel that I would give anything for it but truth. And truth is an essential ingredient in, in peace, in shalom. You know, we've got in Canada the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, Council. Truth and you, you need one to have the other. For there to be true reconciliation, there has to be truth. Otherwise, it's fake peace. 
Sometimes being a peacemaker means just raising the hard thing instead of avoiding it. Bill Hybels, well-known Christian author, he, he talked about this. He says he went to a close friend whose life was taking a bad turn and then he asked about for lunch so they could talk. When it was, the time was right over that meal, Bill Hybels said to his friend, I'm not trying to run your life, but I'm concerned about the direction it's taking. I'm sure he said it in a very nice way. He said that that friend of his got so mad that he almost jumped over the table and punched Bill's lights out. So Bill backed off and he said, sorry, I'll, I'll never mention it again. And he never did mention it again. And his friend shipwrecked his life. Bill Hybels has seen that same friend since and he said to him, I failed you. I should have said, hit me if you have to, if it makes you feel better, but I'm going to stay on your case because I'm concerned about your future, my friend. I'm concerned about harmony. I'm concerned about flourishing. Now, sometimes that's hard, costly work. Making peace means willing to lovingly listen and lovingly speak the truth to another. You know, Jesus did that. You remember that occasion in John chapter 8? That woman caught in adultery is hauled before the council there, all those religious leaders. They all had their stones and they were just ready to fling these stones and exact God's judgment on the sinful woman. And they said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, what would you do? You know what it says in the law of Moses. What do you think we should do? And Jesus were told, didn't say anything for a while. I don't know what he was doing. The Bible says he got down and he was actually scribbling something in the dirt. And there was this awkward silence. What, what was he doing? That's, was he playing hangman? Was he? That's one of the questions I want to ask Jesus. What were you scribbling in the dirt? I don't know. But I think what Jesus is doing is he's listening. He's thinking. He's not going to be quick to speak. He's not going to be quick to judge. He listens and he ponders. And then he says to the woman, after a while, he, uh, well, he, he says to the group, he says, okay, if any of you has no sin, be the first to throw the stone. And of course, they all had sin, so they dropped their stones and went away. And it was just Jesus and the woman. And he said to the woman, has no one condemned you? No, Lord. Well, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more, he says. He was willing to speak the truth to the woman. He didn't shy away from the truth. But he was someone who was not trying to judge, win against. He was trying to win over the other. And so he listened, and he spoke truthfully yet lovingly. He was pursuing shalom. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, you've probably been to some of these festivals or theme parks, right, where you've, you've got these cutouts where you put your face in it, and it looks kind of silly. I think I'm rather dapper, to tell you the truth, though, on that one. You've all done this, right? Like, you've all taken pictures of, of yourself with these goofy cutouts, and there's, there's Britta at the whiteout last year, Winnipeg whiteout. And, uh, I mean, what makes it kind of fun is that the, that, I would have made a great soldier. I should have been a soldier. 
It's kind of funny because, you know, maybe the body and the head don't match very well and it looks kind of goofy. You know what the Bible says? In the verse before, in Colossians 1, when it said that God and Jesus is reconciling all things to himself, in the verse before it says, Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. We are the body, and someday the head is going to return. Jesus is going to come back to his church, and he's going to come, and he's going to stick his head in that hole. We are the body. What is it going to look like? Will it be all goofy and mismatched, or are people going to go, that looks right, that fits? It belongs. God is a peacemaker, so we too are called to be peacemakers in the world. As we think about taking this home, here's my question for you. Are, are you just keeping the peace or are you making peace? You're letting sleeping dogs lie, things under the rug, in some relationship, in some situation. Are you just keeping the peace or are you actively making peace? building harmony, what would it look like for you this week to go and to work for peace, to work to bring about harmony in a relationship this week? What would that look like? Not to keep the peace, but to be a maker of peace. Not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of harmony. To build a flourishing relationship, what would that look like? That's the question I want you to just to pray about and to bring with you into your week. And why don't we just begin right now by uh, bringing that before God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you looked down on us and you saw us broken and you didn't throw us under the garbage heap. You paid the cost. We thank you that you sent your son into the world and he bore our brokenness and he bore our shame and on that cross he died and he shed his blood for us to make peace so that we might know peace with you. So that we might have the life and the harmony that you created us to have. We thank you that you have done all that work of making peace through your son Jesus which we can enjoy this morning. Lord, we live in a broken world as we leave here and as we go back into our homes and our workplaces and our schools and our neighborhoods, Father, um, I just pray that we would bear your image, that we would be those that are out there actively, not just keeping peace, but making peace. Lord, help us to do that work because that's your work. Show us, Father, what it would look like in our lives to do that in our homes and the places we live. Use us, Father, to reconcile all things to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.